Father, we just thank you for the gift of Matt. Father, I just pray that this morning you would begin to flow through him in a way he has yet to experience, God. You would put him on. You would speak to him. You would articulate your heart through Matt. And Father, our heart is always as, as we listen to this word when we're done, we will be changed a little more into your image. And Father, we just ask that you would put Matt on. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you for your presence that is here now, God. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I just know that during worship, you are touching and healing hearts and all kinds of crazy cool things. And Father, we just pray that that would continue. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Blinking. Oh, there we go. All right. Can you hear me now? How's that? Good. factor mm. without you there's nothing without you nothing happens Lord you're here God and I know today that you don't want to leave anyone out you're moving in every heart and you want to bring breakthrough in every heart today Father thank you You're so good. And when he, Jehoshaphat, had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, 
who had come against Judah. So that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, guess what they saw? They looked toward the horde, the demonically led horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 20 through 24. How many of you know that story of Jehoshaphat and the battle that came through the worship of the people? I love that story. It gets me fired up. But there is more to this story than meets the eye. There's a backstory to the story. There's a backstory that came before the battle. So we need to rewind a little bit to get the full picture by looking at the moments, plural, that led up to the moment of victory. And that moment of victory was built on what built up to it. Back in 2 Chronicles 18, just two chapters before, you can look at it if you want, starting in verse 1. I'll just summarize it for you. Essentially, things were going well. Jehoshaphat's kingdom was, was prospering. And he made an alliance with Ahab. How many of you know who Ahab was? Great guy, right? <laughs> very, very wicked king of Israel. At this time, of course, Judah and Israel were divided. Okay, They were not united, so there was a king of Judah and a king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. Ahab was the king of Israel. So Jehoshaphat had this great idea. Great idea. It was his idea. And he said, you know what? I'm going to make a marriage alliance between my son and Ahab's daughter. We see near at the beginning of uh, Jehoshaphat's son's reign that that alliance ended up ruining a lot of things. It wasn't realized right away. But he thought that was a good idea. He allied with him and he said, you know what, Ahab, let's go to battle together. He reached out to Ahab for help. Let's expand our kingdom. Let's team up. So that's what they did. Can you guess how that went? Not well. King Ahab, a, a, a archer, randomly fired an arrow, and it went right through his armor and killed him, even though he was disguised as a commoner. Ahab was. He died. And right before that, Jehoshaphat was ready to die, and he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord mercifully delivered him. So he barely escaped with his life. And so he comes back to Jerusalem after that battle, one chapter later, 2 Chronicles chapter 19. I'm going to read it to you, 2 Chronicles 19, verses 1 through 3. Jehoshaphat failed. He was on the wrong course. But something happened to course-correct him, this leader of Judah. Second Chronicles 19, verse 1 says, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But no sooner than he had got settled, it says, 
Jehu, the son of some guy, <laughs> the seer went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Rhetorically. Because of this, wrath has come out against you from the Lord. Again, this is before this mighty victory that happened through worship. This is the backstory, part of the backstory. Verse 3, Nevertheless, some good is found in you, Jehu said, for you destroyed the Ashtaroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. So Jehoshaphat had stumbled, but someone came along to help bring him back on track. So how did Jehoshaphat respond to this prophetic correction? How did he respond? What did he do? The next verse, verse 4. Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem. What does it say? And he went out again among the people. So he went from Jerusalem, got up out of his throne. He did something. He went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim. And what did he do? Brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Fast forward to the end of chapter 19. It says, he taught them to essentially deal courageously, he says, and may the Lord be with the upright. May the Lord be with the upright. There was this theme as I was reading through Second Chronicles from about 13 or 14 through about 21, and this theme kept coming up, with, with, with. When you are with God, he will fight for you. When you're not with him, he will forsake you, not in the sense of salvation, but if we don't fight battles with the Lord, we will lose because the enemy is stronger than us, but he's not stronger than our dad. <laughs> right? So he said, he, he basically said, Joseph had repented. He turned from the way he was going, okay? Allying with a foreign wicked king, somewhat foreign, to not only coming back to the Lord himself, but bringing others back to the Lord with him. Who did he bring them back to? What did he bring them back to? The God of their fathers, the Lord. They had departed from the Lord. They had not departed from anything else that mattered than the Lord. And from there, everything changes when we come back to the person. Even the principles come into alignment when we come back to the person. So even though he had failed, God was faithful to send someone to bring him back. Good things were happening in this chapter. Things were going well. People were turning to God. Revival, right? Essentially. But you can count on this. Anytime you take a step toward the Lord, guess what's going to happen? Every time, I guarantee it, there will be an opposing force to discourage us from our course. There will be an opposing force to discourage us from our course. We start to take a step, boom, we get hit, and we go, oh, we're either going to turn back or we're going to keep going and we're going to push through. The enemy does not want us to be near the Lord. Why? He's our lifeline. If we fight alone, we're going to lose, and he knows it. So when we start stepping toward the Lord, he tries to stop that. And that's exactly what happened. Imagine that. Second Chronicles chapter 20, right at the beginning of the very next chapter. 
Verse 1, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them, some of the Minuites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Again, we're still in the backstory here. This is before the amazing victory through worship. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are at Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. He heard the news. What happened? Fear gripped his heart. It was no accident that Jehoshaphat's enemies came when they did. When we um, moved from Medford to Grants Pass, we moved because God wanted us to move. We moved only for that reason, because he said to move. And shortly after we moved, my wife encountered someone on the street, a stranger, and she came up to my wife, this lady, and she said, go back to Medford, you freak. She didn't know her. She didn't know she came from Medford. I helped a brother, yeah, confirmation, right? Uh, I helped a brother in the Lord, um, with the Lord's help, of course, uh, get free from demonic oppression. And the very day that this gentleman got free, guess what happened? My, my five-year-old son was taking his bath, just happy, playing around, splashing in the water. And all of a sudden, he started, he said, Dad, ah, I'm hurting. He started having pain all over his body, out of nowhere. And then it progressed from there to, he said, Dad, I feel like someone's choking me. I feel like I'm being choked. And I, and I, and I, I all of a sudden was like, oh, I know what this is. This is called, this is called retaliation for this other gentleman who got free. Now they're coming after my son. So I started praying and, and it's laughable because not, not much happened. But I felt like in the moment, the Lord wanted me to ask my son to do something about it. So I said, Asher, I need you to cry out to Jesus. Just ask Jesus to help you. Whew, man. And he goes, he just, my little boy, he just goes, Jesus, help. And the second he started to say Jesus' name, I just felt the Lord Jesus himself like enter the room so instantly and so powerfully that I started like cry laughing. I mean, the joy of the Lord just permeated the room. And, and shortly thereafter, my microphone fell off. <laughs> Not really. Uh, shortly thereafter, my son's pain went away. Did that stop me from helping others get free? No. No, because there's no better place to be than where God wants you to be, even if it's painful, even if it's hard, even if he retaliates against your family, that's the safest place to be because that's where he is. And I could go on. There's more stories like that, on and on and on. Well, what did Jehoshaphat do in the face of his fear? Continue on. 
the second half of verse 3, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the second verse of, uh, part of verse 3. He set his face to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah, and Judah assembled to seek help from, not Ahab, but the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. That was probably a multi-day thing, right? They had to get ready to travel. They had to take their family and then they fasted together in this place. This probably didn't just happen in a day. But first notice what Jehoshaphat did, did not do. Okay, this is probably more commonly what, what our tendency is to do. And I have done this before, some of these things. He did not rely on another leader like he'd done before in the present. Nor did he rely on the traditions of the past. He didn't say... Well, it worked something, this certain approach to battle worked before, so I'm just going to do the same thing that worked yesterday. He didn't do that. He also did not get ahead of the Lord. Where are you, Lord? Oh, I'm, over, I'm, I'm back here. Josephat didn't get out in front of the Lord. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to just make something up. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do what King Saul did. 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 14. He, Saul, waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel the prophet. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. You think Saul was freaking out a little bit? Yeah. Verse 9. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Samuel went out to him to greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? What have you done, Saul? And Saul said, uh, uh, uh. when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, I was impatient, and that the Philistines had mustered at some place, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. He knows what he did. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom, uh, your kingdom over Israel forever. Saul would have been David. Imagine that. Saul would have been David. It's kind of what he said. But that didn't happen. But now your kingdom shall not continue, verse 14. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul got ahead of the Lord. He didn't wait and follow the instruction that came from a prophet. In every battle we face, we must pause and seek the Lord's presence. We have to know, God, what, what's the strategy? Not even what's the strategy, but I'm just here because I need help. And he will reveal the strategy. I mean, you look at Joshua. If, you, if you've read the story of Joshua, oh man, every battle looked different, right? The first battle, they even getting over the Jordan was different. God parted the Jordan, but didn't part until their feet grew faith, or their faith grew feet, and they put their foot in the Jordan, and then it parted. 
okay? They couldn't just sit on their, on their backsides and just do nothing. They, faith is, a, is an action. They stepped into the, the Jordan. It parted. They went over, and then they had to walk around. You know the story? For seven days, on the seventh day, they shouted, blew trumpets, and they did that all when? Before the walls fell, before there was a victory in faith. They did that, and then the victory came. And then the next battle was different, and the one after that was different. What's the point? God's just so fun because he's like, I, I want to do this with you. We get to do it together. Don't get ahead of me. Don't stay behind me. Just stay with me. Every time it's different. Might look similar, but we won't know that if we don't pause and seek his face. We need to get going. I grant you that. But if we don't know where God wants us to go day by day, then our go will be powerless and fruitless. We need to get going, but if we don't know where he wants us to go today, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I need to not be apart from him. Consider the difference in the outcome, potential outcome of these two scenarios. I say, that person's sick. I need to go heal them just because they're sick. Now, consider scenario two. The father says, that one. The father says, that one, I want to heal that one right now. Think there'd be a difference in the outcome? That's me walking by sight versus faith. Jehoshaphat, he did not, he, he sought God. He did not even freeze up. He could have froze up. That's the other alternative is when things come, we freeze up in fear. But no, Jehoshaphat, he did not take it lying down. He pushed back against the enemy. When the enemy comes, what he tries to do is he tries to discourage us, to stop us. But that's because he's more afraid of us than we are of him. We just don't know that. Because he knows who's with us. You know that Satan's more afraid of you than you are of him? Joshua, chapter 1. Do not be afraid, Joshua, God said. Chapter 2, they go to Rahab. Guess what, Rahab says? The people here in Jericho, their hearts melted with fear within them because they'd seen what your God had done in parting the Red Sea and the miracles he'd performed. They were more freaked out of Joshua than Joshua was of them. That wasn't in my notes. That was extra. Um, but he was, Jehoshaphat was so in step with the Spirit that he not only sought God first, But he went as far as to do something so crazy that he sent worshipers out in front of a physical, to win a physical battle. I, I don't, can't think, I mean, it's enough to, to worship God 
for spiritual battles today. But can you imagine having the faith to say, you know what, we're going to send the singers out in front. Woo, that's faith. And look at Joseph, look at the change. He went from crippling fear to crazy extreme faith. Why? What was the difference? What changed? He stopped, paused. I'm going to seek you, God. Now, do you think either of those, Josephat would have done either of those things if he had not been walking with God before that? Do you think that Josephat would have known to listen to God and follow him and had the courage to do that and to send worshipers out in front to seek God first if he had been allied with Ahab and still been going down that path? No, he was walking. He had consecrated himself to the Lord. He said, Lord, I'm going to set myself apart to be, here's this word again, different. (laughs) If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Um, He said, I'm going to be different, not in a weird sort of way, unless that's what it takes. Um, But I'm going to be set aside, set apart for what God wants. And in that place, when fear came, when the enemy came, he knew what to do. Not for the battle, he just knew where to go, right? He knew where to go to the Lord. Singing songs on Sunday is not enough to bring breakthrough. Now, before you throw something at me, I realize that this is a charismatic church, and I love worship. Like I said, this story fires me up and what happened. But I'm, let, me refer, let me say that again. Singing songs on Sunday is not enough in and of itself, okay, to bring breakthrough. Vineyard's own Jeremy Riddle wrote this. Without surrender, there is no worship. Without sacrifice, there is no offering. Nothing for fire to fall on. Reformation, revival, awakening, and fire falling are all just conference buzzwords that will remain unrealized until someone is willing to lay their life down. Romans 12, what did Paul say? What's our reasonable, your, lay down your life as a living sacrifice, which is your what? Your reasonable service of worship. Worship is not just singing. It, singing should come out of a heart of worship, and that's what makes it worship. What makes worship worship is, I'm a sacrifice, Lord, do what you want. And that's when he comes. He says, okay, you're out of the way, now I can move. Through you, with you. Jimmy Rill goes on to say, there is a spiritual authority waiting to be released on the earth. A pending glory and a holy fire. But it waits for the wholehearted ones to rise. I want to read that one more time. There is a spiritual authority waiting to be released on the earth, a pending glory and a holy fire, but it waits for wholehearted ones to rise. Are we ready to rise? Am I ready to rise? This sermon's for me too. This is not just a one-time thing. We don't, we don't, want, we don't want change to come just now. We want it to be sustained. And that's what I mean by that statement. Singing songs on Sunday is not enough to bring breakthrough. It may come, but there's a backstory. Jehoshaphat sought God for help. But practically speaking, what did that look like? 
going to continue reading. And, and, I, and I was going to summarize this, but I just can't. It's too good. I would probably ruin it. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 5 through 13. So it says he, he, they were fasting and they were seeking God, okay? The people of Israel with Jehoshaphat. And this is what seeking God looked like for Jehoshaphat. And it should look similar for us. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Wow. It's like reminding God of who he is. I think God knows who he is. But he's still doing it. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in this sanctuary, uh, in this sanctuary a place for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, if sword, if judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house. And... What will we do? We will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. He doesn't say you might heal and save. He doesn't say we're going to sit here and we're going to go, God, please help us. We're going to cry out. Cry out. When I was driving in my car on the way here, I was crying out to the Lord. I said, Lord, wait no longer. Oh. Do, God, what you want to do. He is like... My wife had this vision. I'm not going to share the vision, but she basically had this picture of the Lord, almost like, not in an anxious way, but like pacing. So excited. Just this last week, just so excited. And, and he wouldn't be sharing, having this shared today if he didn't know you were the right ones to hear it. Do you know that? <laughs> so amazing. <sighs> Satan's freaked out of you, about you. He's scared. He really is. <clears throat> I lost my place. Verse 10, and now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab, Mount Seir, whom you have not let in Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us, and by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't, do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's all he wants. To just say, I don't know what to do. He's like, that's okay. I do. He always does. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Everybody was there. 
What a wonderfully presumptuous prayer of faith. <laughs> so just like, man, you know, you read that prayer and you would think, I don't know, there's just a difference between casual praying and seeking. Do you know what I'm talking about? The first equivalent uh, of the word seek in the New Testament is used in Matthew 2.13. It means to seek so as to find. It was used of Herod when he sought out all the young boys at the birth time of Christ, trying to seek out Jesus to kill him. He could, didn't find him, but when he killed all those babies, do you think King Herod sought out those young babies just, just to be busy? Or do you think he sought them out to have a, you think there was a purpose with the seeking? Like, he was not going to give up until he killed those young boys. And there's this rule in, in, in biblical interpretation where there's this rule of, of first usage. It, it, there's something about the first time a word is used that has more weight, okay? And this word means seek so as to find. He left no stone unturned. He didn't just go, you know, sometimes in prayer it's like, yeah, I'll turn over a stone, maybe two. I didn't get my answer. Well, all right, I'll move on to the next thing. Herod didn't do that. He turned, on, he turned over every single stone he could find. That's what it means to seek. Jesus says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. The first time the word seek is used in the Old Testament, guess what it means? To demand. Ooh. It also has a similar meaning in Colossians chapter 1. To demand, or chapter 3, sorry, to demand something of someone, to seek, to demand. Strong words. Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will, God says, you will seek me and find me. But there is a caveat. When you seek me with all your heart. So those words, seek, is used twice in that verse. Seek me with all, you find me when you seek me with all your heart. Two different words. The first word means to desire, and the second word means to demand. So I'm going to reword, I'm going to reread that verse with those, um, what those words mean literally. You will desire me and find me when you demand me with all your heart. Oh man, that changes things, doesn't it? Like, I got to have you. I'm desperate for you. That's, that's the kind of prayer Jehoshaphat prayed. I still remember when I first learned what it meant to seek God. Um, it was actually at my house. I was about probably, I don't know, maybe 19, 18, 19, something like that. I'm 42 now, so a while ago. Um, anytime I would have a problem or an issue, I'd go to my parents. And this one time, I felt like the Lord said to me, he goes, why don't you just come to me? Oh, Okay. My habitual practice was just go to my parents. Nothing wrong with that. He said, why don't you just come to me? So I stopped, literally stopped, went back to my room. I started talking to him. And that, that was a catalyst for, for this, this multi-year period where I would go out. This is in Montana where there's more cows than people. And I would go out in my car by myself. And I would just seek God. And I would say, God... I'm dealing with a lot of complexity in my life. I have issues. I have things that I don't know what to do. And I said, I am here. I would say this to him over and over every time. I am here as long as it takes. 
And what I meant by that was, I'm here until I have peace. I am here until I know that you've spoken to me, whether it takes 20 minutes or three hours. And, and I would. There were times where it was 20 minutes, and there were times I would sit there for three hours in my car, and I would worship, and I would pray, and I would read my word, and I would just, it was this fluid thing. And that continues to this day. It looks different now. If I went out on a deserted road here, I'd probably get, have a cop come up and say, what are you doing? Are you doing drugs or something? You know. Anyway, um, but, but just being with Jesus, it, it changes me. And I, I know you guys know what I'm talking about, but it, there's nothing like being with him. It brought such freedom. We're, the life would be complex, and I would be with him, and I would leave, and everything was simple. I would walk in, get into my car, heavy, and I'd come back, and my shock said, thank you. <laughs> Right? The car would be lighter. <laughs> and it prepared me for something that I didn't necessarily want to do. Um, during that time, God began to say, Matt, I want you to pastor. And this is when I was probably in my mid-20s or so. And I, I was like, oh, I'll ignore that. Not me, not me. No, that's not me. And finally, I just surrendered and I said, okay. And I was already serving in the church I was going to at the time, and then the leadership did come to me, and they said, we want you to be the associate pastor. We want to ordain you. And when they came, I said, okay, because God had already prepared me. Breakthrough, I'm just going to say this, can only come when we find God. And he is only found when we pause and persist in his presence. If you remember the vision that I shared on uh, end of October, October 23rd, about the jars and the lids, and I had someone, someone ask me afterward, well, how do the lids come off? And I didn't really know the answer per se at the time, but then it came to me and I shared it, but I want to share it with you because it was the, vi I had two visions and they, the first vision actually was of this blue pillar of fire coming down upon the lids and blowing off the lids. And the pillar of fire represents God and his presence. And, and in anywhere we have lids, and in any way we have lids over our lives, the only thing that will remove, can remove those is God himself as we spend time in his presence. He's the only one who can take the complexity. He's the only one that can set us free, and he can blow that off. How did God respond to Jehoshaphat's prayer of seeking? In, in his presence, Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. And it was kind of a presumptuous prayer. I mean, almost borderline offensive. Like, are you not God? I mean, it, it just sounds kind of, yeah, offensive almost. Presumptuous. So the question is, did, God, did the Lord slap Jehoshaphat's hand? How dare you talk to me like that? Nope it became apparent that Jehoshaphat had instead moved God's hand. Second Chronicles 
just the following verses. I'm not going to read them. I'll summarize them. But essentially, as, as Jehoshaphat and the people are, are seeking God, guess what happens? A pre- someone comes up, a priest actually, not even a prophet, a priest comes, and he shares this prophecy that God gave them in God's presence. God speaks when you're with him, right? Makes sense. So God speaks and he says, you don't even have to fight in this battle. For the Lord pretty much is going to win this battle for you. They did have to fight in some battles. But in this one, God said, in this this case, I'm going to go and I'm just going to wipe them out. You don't even have to do anything, essentially. You don't have to swing a sword. So to circle back from where we started, why was Jehoshaphat's defensive turned offensive battle strategy so effective? Why was it so effective? Why did just sending the worshipers out in front, why did that work so well? Because it was God's strategy for that particular battle. He didn't, he didn't pull something up from the past and say, well, that worked yesterday and it's going to work today, therefore. No, he said, God, what do you want to do today in my life, in our people's lives? We are ready to be destroyed can you imagine the fear? We're going to either be destroyed or enslaved. And the enemy comes to each of us and he says, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to enslave you. And we have a choice. We can freeze up in fear. We can make something up or we can get up and go to him. And then he will tell us what to do and how to win for that particular battle. I wish there was a shortcut but there's not. There's no shortcut to him. There's no formula. There's no strategy, but him. When God came to Joshua and said, I want you to go and take this people over the Jordan, did God give him a blueprint and say, you know, battle by battle, this is what you're going to do? No, he did not. He just said, go. And Joshua, what did he say? He didn't question God. He said, yep, I'm going. Let's do this. Because he knew Joshua would hang around the presence of God. Exodus 33. Even after leader Moses left, Joshua hung around with God. So he knew when it came time for battle, God's got this. I don't need to know all the details for tomorrow. I just need to know my God. I need to know my God. Effectively, by obeying God, Jehoshaphat was taking up the shield of faith. Ephesians chapter 6, you know about the shield of faith, right? The shield of faith. He took up the shield of faith. Have you ever wondered what exactly the shield of faith is made up of? In medieval times, they were made of wood and leather, usually. Was it made of wood and leather? Is, Is our shield of faith made up of wood and leather or metal? No. Something much, much better. Genesis 15, 1, God speaks. He says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Guess what your shield is made of? God himself. Do you think that the enemy's darts can get through God? Nope. Every time he will extinguish them. We just have to pick it up, though. That's the caveat. I had a vision about maybe a month and a half ago. I was in a place in my life where I was experiencing some fear. 
and, and, and I had it through the night. And I was, as I was kind of halfway awake, halfway asleep, early morning, I saw this vision, hard to describe it, but I saw the Lord, like Jesus, stretched out in a parabola shape over my bed, semi-transparent, but it was Jesus in, it, as a shield over me, over, sitting over me as I was sleeping in bed. And I knew what it meant. He's like, I'm your shield. Don't be afraid. I've got this. What would have happened if Jehoshaphat would have not taken it seriously to seek the Lord? What if he had not done that? What would have happened for the paralytic in Mark chapter 2? if his friends would have literally not broken through a roof to bring him to Jesus. Now that is persistence. It wasn't even their roof. (laughs) Literally, they broke through. Do you want breakthrough? Then you got to break through. (laughs) It's It's not a token prayers won't do it, casual praying won't do it, seeking God will though every single time. And it might take a while, or it might happen quickly. What will happen if you and me, we are too content to contend for breakthrough? What will happen if we're too content and we say, well, it's just been this way. I've tried. Maybe that's just part of my personality. Maybe I'm supposed to be that way. This is just my life. It's just the way it is. What will happen if I give up, if you give up? And I don't persist like the widow of Luke 18 and annoy my God, not really annoy him, but if I don't persist, what will happen? Nothing. But that's not what we are going to do, is it? Because the Lord is raising up a people who refuse to settle for the way things have been. He is raising up a people who will not be satisfied with anything less than what God wants and is doing now. Did you hear that? He is raising you up, me up, us up, believers all over, who will not settle for anything less than what he's doing now. He is not the God of the yesterday. He is, but he did stuff then, but he's also the God of today. I shared this with our our home group. And it is for this body, and I, and I almost can't even read it without, like, losing it. But Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, it says this. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. You might want to write it down and read it later. I'm, I, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Ha, <laughs> ha. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? 
I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So, God, he interrupts himself while he's talking. Behold, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Like, as I'm talking, God says, something's happening. Because when God talks, things come into existence. When we talk, when we speak, things come into existence. So, Father, we just thank you. And we perceive it, that you're doing a new thing. And you're going to make rivers in the desert. And though things may be dry now, that doesn't mean they will be tomorrow or even later today. Because you're the God of the impossible and you can change anything in an instant. If you can bring life from a dead womb in a 95, 98-year-old woman, you can do anything, Lord. Sarah, I'm referring to, for those of you who don't know (laughs) what I'm talking about. So what I want us to do right now, and and I, I know we're a little bit past when we would normally, okay. I want you to just spend a few minutes, everyone here. I, I said at the beginning, God's not leaving anyone out. And, and, and I heard that from him, that he, he wants to bring breakthrough in every single one of our lives. And I, and I mean everybody. Um, and it might not happen today, but it might. It might take a period of time, like with Jehoshaphat and the people. It might take a lot of seeking. It might take weeks. It might take days. It might take months. I don't know. But I just pray that God would impart and implant into us a persistence, a fire that says, I am fed up. Enough is enough, Satan. You're going down. Because my God is a warrior, and he never loses a battle. So, spend a few minutes, please, just thinking to yourself. It's going to be painful because I want you to think about where you need breakthrough. And maybe as I've been speaking, God has already spoken to you. In fact, I know he has. He's already spoken to some of you and said that you need breakthrough in that area, hasn't he? So just take a few minutes and don't worry about the awkward silence because God's going to be speaking. (laughs) Take a few minutes and ask the question, Father, where do you want breakthrough in my life? And maybe it's not your life. Maybe it's in the life of someone around you could be anything. Second Chronicles 15, verses 12 and 13 says, And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul, but that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. That was under King Asa, Jehoshaphat's father. And I think it's significant that, that the Lord said that because when we don't seek God, we're just 
dead. I mean, I can't do anything for the Lord without him. I don't know about you, but I, I just, I, I relate to Paul when he says, man, I'm weak, but when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, there's times all I can do is just worship. I don't even know what to do. My mind's in knots. I can't even read the Bible in that moment. I do later, but I just stop and I go, ah, I'm just going to sing. I don't know what to do. And, and my question is, whatever God revealed to you, I know there's things in my life he revealed to me this week that I need breakthrough in. There's uh, a particular person in our life who really needs breakthrough. Um, and honestly, it frustrates me. And I don't pray enough for this person. Or else I wouldn't be frustrated. <laughs> Can't be frustrated when you're praying for someone. So the Lord spoke to me and he said, in the middle of the night, about 2 or 3 a.m., he said, your breakthrough will be their breakthrough. I go, whoa, okay? So when I get breakthrough, they're going to get breakthrough. So who in your life will get breakthrough when you get breakthrough? We've all had breakthrough. We've all had experience freedom. If we know the Lord Jesus, we've experienced that, but there's still and always will be more. <laughs> always. We always need breakthrough in something. So we're going we're gonna to close out with this. I want you to do something different. Get used to it. <laughs> Maybe even scary. Bam. Yes. Thanks, Joseph. Um, the person that's next to you, and there is no judgment here. Greg wanted me to say, he meant to mention that last week when it, on the topic of purity. Uh, it might not even be a sin. It might just be anything. I mean, just something you need breakthrough in. Um, but there is no judgment for us. There's only one judge. His name is Jesus. It's not us. We are to restore in spirit of gentleness. That's what we're called to, to restore one another. And we all need God's help. And I mean all of us. There is no one excluded here. So the person next to you, I want to take a few minutes. Just tell them something you need breakthrough in. And if you're not next to someone, go to someone or just you and the Lord, whatever. Whatever you're led to do. But do something a little scary, okay? And, and spend just a few minutes doing that. And then we're going to do something right after that.
We're going to seek it until we see it. <laughs> we're going to seek him until we see what we're, re- what we're demanding of him. And he wants us to. He's excited. He's excited to help us. So what I want you to do now, and we're going to close with this, is I want you to, I feel like this is a prophetic act that God wants us to take. I want you to literally lift your hands, lift your arms, lift whatever it is, and it might be multiple things, whatever you need breakthrough in, I want you to lift it to the Lord right now. Father, I know we're going to see things break today. And even if we don't, we're going to continue to seek until we see it. We are not content with allowing things that should not be to be. Things that are from the enemy, they are not allowed I just speak this over this body, over my life, over my family. You are not allowed to remain. You will break. And I know how you will break. You will break in the presence of my God. And for these here, you will break. Because you cannot stand against the might of Almighty God. You're done. It might not be today. But it is, your time is coming. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul. Take joy, my King, in what you hear.